Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Dynasty Bulls Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson. Uh, today we are talking about the NFC South class. Or the NFC South class. I'm so used to talking uh, NFL draft. NFC South division. We're talking about the dynasty implications of the NFC South division. My co-host, Nick, has not called in yet. I'm sure he'll call in here momentarily. Um, also, Dan Burgundy-Hines is going to be stopping by to uh, do a little dynasty dilemma with us as well um that should be uh should be good fun always fun when dan stops by he'll probably by in about uh 30 minutes so uh but like i said i always wanted to this is we have just two teams left uh to talk about here two divisions left excuse me to talk about here nfc east is what is on NFC South, excuse me, is what is on the docket today as uh, so i trying to figure out the, the dynasty implications of these teams in this division. Um, so, but first I wanted to introduce maybe a new segment that we, we would like to do on the show here. Um, I was really excited to tell Nick about it, and we're out of nowhere yet. So I'm going to play the new segment music. So the new segment we're going to talk about today is called Kick Me Out of the War Room. And I, as a fan of podcasts myself, I obviously listen to a number of different podcasts as well. Um, so I, I hear, you know, all kinds of different people's takes, you know, kind of from the from the PFF to the regular uh, regular Joe's takes and certain prospects. And um, well, I've listened to a lot of defensive back coverage lately, and I keep hearing about Great athleticism, but kind of the the bigger mold and short arms of Vernon Hargreaves. So, you know, maybe the second best corner in this draft when I consider Jalen Ramsey a corner, and some people consider Hargreaves uh, 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 the number one on their board as well. So, 
Um, but uh, hey, we have Nick. Nick, are you there? I am here, Josh. All right. Sorry about the mix-up there. Right. How are you today? That's all right. Um, I just you missed the music, but I'm introducing a new segment on the show today. It's called "Kick Me Out of the War Room," um, and I was just explaining to the to the lovely listeners out there about uh, Vernon Hargreaves. How many people feel he's either you know one or two on their board in terms of cornerbacks. Uh, but as I listen and I hear a lot of this, all more all all these other about him and get my analysis and check, and the, the more I read about him. I think Vernon Hargreaves might be the the most delicious free safety of this class. I think he could play that single high safety. I think he has speed and athleticism to him. Um, a lot of people were surprised that he came to the combine over 200 pounds. I didn't think he'd weigh in at that. thought maybe like a buck 80. So I think he's got maybe a little bit of speed and a little bit of thumping power to be kind of that single high safety because I – I don't think he's going to translate into an elite quarterback. And the reason I bring this up on the podcast today is obviously you full IDP guys, you want those safeties that are going to be out there making plays as opposed to the cornerbacks that aren't going to score that consistent numbers. So I am not saying that's going to happen, but just maybe a suggestion. It might be something we see down the road uh, eventually there out of uh, Vernon Hargreaves. Any thoughts there in Hargreaves, Nick? Um, no, not right now. I'm sorry. Still, still kind of getting uh, coordinated. My bad. Okay. Well, are you ready for Nick Rant, or should we go right to Carolina? Yeah, I can do that. All right. So each and every week I give my co-host the floor to kind of rant about something that's bothering, something that's on his mind. Um, sometimes it's positive. Sometimes it's uh, yelling. Uh, sometimes I call it shots fired. Uh, but I usually like it just about every time. So, Nick, we got So, Nick rants today. Well, it wouldn't be an NFL podcast if we didn't talk about suspensions, right? So, now, Josh Gordon <laughs> was suspended well over a year ago for a year, but still has not been reinstated. Now, of course, had he violated the rules of this suspension, gotten arrested, or tested positive again, then yes, don't reinstate him unless the rules changed. But even though Josh Gordon applied for reinstatement over two months ago and there are no reports of Gordon breaking any rules during his suspension, he remains suspended. Why? Well, Roger Goodell said, I'd rather wait until I sort of get a report on whether it's appropriate to meet with him and went on to say, I might choose to do that. Oh, so you might choose to do your job? What if others in position of power had that attitude? Jailer, I was sentenced to a year in prison. It's been a year, and I've been a model prisoner. Can I go home? Well, first I'll need a report from some medical professionals, and then I might choose to let you go. And yes, the commissioner did say some medical professionals may be used in the Josh Gordon report. Why? Uh, he didn't beat up another person, didn't pull a gun at a nightclub, isn't running a heroin ring. He smoked some weed and drank some beers. So if in the last 15 months he hasn't done those things, then what more do you really need? And I don't want to hear any of this, you know, we just want to make sure the the young man has taken the right steps to turn his life around, bullcrap. You know, if he was a violent offender or even a habitual drunk driver, then maybe. But his missteps were a case of stupidity, not being a bad person. So it makes no sense to continue to punish him for ingesting substances, which, let's, let's be honest, if used in moderation, it's probably less harmful than a fast food and pizza that is advertised during every single NFL game. Now, as fantasy football owners, we need to keep this situation in mind when valuing guys like Alvin Smith. 
whose one-year suspension is up November 17th. If Goodell waits as long to reinstate Smith as he is with Josh Gordon, then we won't see Alvin Smith at all in the silver and black in 2016. Right, Josh? Yeah, and Deion Jordan, has anybody heard a word about him? I mean, wasn't he only on your suspension too? Um, yeah, I mean, and I think he said something about pizza and fast food being bad, but I think pot might lead to that as well. But anyway, um, just wanted to throw that in there. I I just don't um, I don't get what the holdup is. Like you said, he's done his time. He's done his diligence. He kept his kept his hands clean. I don't think some 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 probably many people thought that wouldn't happen, but. He's done everything to take him the, to take the right step, like you like you want out of these guys, and I, I I don't know why he hasn't been reinstated yet, and what what exactly the uh, the holdup is there. It just doesn't uh, just doesn't make sense. Um, I don't know why by any means either that they would um, consider consider like not reinstating him. I mean, what kind of mess? I mean, obviously they're maybe trying to send a message to the people that. Uh, have done bad, other bad things in the past, and maybe you shouldn't do stuff like this. But yeah, just to make doesn't make sense why this has not been taken care of exactly yet. So yeah, I I, I don't know. It's it seems like it's so much more than a one year suspension, and uh, I guess Martavius Bryant should be taking notes too because that's yeah I don't I don't get what's going on there. That's that's for sure. Um, Let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. Like I said, Burgundy's going to be joining us in about 20 minutes to do our awesome dilemma for the day as we pit Kelvin Benjamin versus Brandon Cooks versus Mike Evans. Um, do you remember, Nick, that we did this exact same dilemma last summer with our buddy Ron McLeese? Did you remember that? Um, I did not, actually, but that's, yeah, it remains as, uh, I'm, as poignant today as it does then. Did then. Yeah, especially since we're talking about all these players are in this division that we're talking about today. And I, I kind of went back and forth about doing it again, but I figured, oh, why not? And I think you cho- you had Kelvin Benjamin last year and Ron had Brandon Cooks. I had Mike Evans both times. So I actually looked a little bit back at my notes on that and we'll have a re- little reflection on that as well. But so that should be a great dilemma. Um, obviously, we'll have some dynasty trade analysis as well. I uh, do have a prospect profile on Sean Davis, and we'll talk a little uh, little r- rookie mocks as well as who we're seeing going in the final rounds of some IDP mocks as well. Um, so that should be uh, good good stuff lined up for you next week. We're finishing our division-by-division division coverage as we talk AFC East uh, with our good buddy Luis Torado Jr. talking New York Jets, gangrene with him. Uh, good guy, Luis, hard worker, always happy to have him come back to the podcast. So uh, probably listen to some Slayer when he's on and just have a good time. So looking forward to that. But let's talk about these Carolina Panthers. What can we expect from Mr. Cameron Artis Payne this year? Pretty high on him. I mean, nobody expected last year for Jonathan Stewart to stay healthy all year pretty much like he did last year. And I can't see that happening two years in a row. And, you know, Cameron Artis Payne at 220 pounds, he's thickly built and should be able to shoulder the load if called upon. He had a lot of success in college at Auburn, including a SEC leading 1,600 yards in 2014. Now, while I am high on him, I, I will wait, be waiting until after the draft to buy uh, any shares of him. You know, he was inactive for the final two postseason games after fumbling in the division round. You know, it was his only fumble all season long, but coaches 
sometimes over-dramatize those. So, you know, as long as the team doesn't draft a running back early, I'm going to be really high on going into the season. Yeah, good good point there. Um, you know, they need, obviously need playmakers in this defense, and but they also need that, that thumper. And, you know, while we were surprised to see uh, – to see uh, Mr. Mr. Stewart stay as healthy as long as he did last year, um, I think we'd be equally surprised that that was to happen two years in a row. And you know he is another year older as well, so that certainly comes into play there. Um, you know he's not a great receiving threat, which kind of kind of hurts his value. Maybe kind of harnesses his value to kind of like the. The the middle, you know, maybe like the middle tier of running backs if he is to become the starter at one point in time. But uh, these Auburn backs where we haven't seen tremendous success from them at the NFL level, they do at least understand running. They understand lanes. They understand blocking schemes because they do so much of it. So I think given an opportunity, uh, I think he could – he could flourish because we know that this Carolina team really likes to really likes to pound the rock. And um, I think uh, they, they could do that with Cameron Artis Payne as opposed to maybe they choose to peel back or do a little, you know, off tackle stuff with Jonathan Stewart. I think if they want to run right up the middle, right up the gut, I think we could see more of that out of Cameron Artis Payne. Um, I'm sure. What's that other running back? Mike Tolbert. I'm sure Mike Tolbert will get some of his too, but, uh, I, I do like Artis Payne. Uh, another young uh, up-and-coming playmaker they have on this team, Nick. Uh, what do you think about Devin Funches? Can he step into that wide receiver two role here in 2016? You know, I think he'll be a wide receiver two there. You know, Ted Ginn and Corey Brown, those two guys shouldn't be too tough to beat out. Um, the thing to remember with Devin Funches is not only is he kind of transitioning from the you know, tight end wide receiver tweener type of role, but he's very young, 22 years old next month. Uh, in his rookie year, he had 31 catches for 473 yards and five scores. I could see that being more of like 60 catches, 900 yards, and eight touchdowns if he if he secures that number two role. Now, if by midseason he's still in wide receiver four on the depth chart like he was last year, I would start to worry a little bit. But I, I really think that he showed enough flashes that he should win the number two job. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. With it'll be interesting to see how things break down with uh, with a uh, Mr. Kelvin Benjamin coming back to this team. You know, he's he will he will be highly represented in the in this offense as uh, they they needed him there his rookie year there, and I think we'll see more of that moving forward here. But uh, um, they they are going to need a number two, and like like Nick said, there's not a there's not necessarily a true number two out of the out of the players they have on this roster right now, so that does that does work in his favor. And like Nick said, he is still young and and ill in kind of somewhat of a transitional phase of his career, so that does come into play there as well. But I think I think he has the skills. I think he I think he did more last year than a lot of people expected. And so maybe some some people in some circles are maybe a little higher on him than they should be, but I still think he could be a very a very serviceable player. Um, I'm not sure like what his drop rate was, but I I know he saw um, I know he saw plenty. How many catches do you say he had, Nick? I had his targets right in front of me here. Uh, Thirty-one catches. Okay, thirty-one funches. 
63, so about 50%. So that's certainly something to, to keep in mind uh, when, you're, uh, when you're considering him that uh, he needs to get better in that aspect. But I think that necessarily wasn't, uh, wasn't news to anybody considering what, what they thought of him coming out. Um, uh, interestingly enough, I, I don't want to go there because somebody else did, uh, but comparison of a player in this draft that I keep hearing is uh, Devin Kachust, the big wide receiver out of uh, – excuse me, out of Stanford. I'm just, I'm writing a profile on him right now. So I'm studying, studying up on him. And there's been a lot of Funches comparisons to, uh, Kajust. It's a hard thing to say, excuse me, but, uh, uh, and I think Kajust has better hands. So maybe, maybe if you don't want to pay the price for, uh, Funches, because some people are certainly going to be higher on him than most, maybe you can look at a guy like Kajust because I think he can, he can fill in, uh, adequately there for you. So, um, moving forward, uh, I know you're a fan here, Nick. What do you think? Can Coney can, is Coney Ely ready to dominate or what? I think so. You know, sometimes simply looking at the standard stat sheets doesn't tell you the whole truth. If you just looked at Ely's first two season stat lines, you wouldn't really come away hugely impressed. His sacks went from four as a rookie to five last year. The tackles were up from twelve as a rookie to thirty two. But you know, that's nothing too special. But he got those numbers as a backup and he really shined at times last year. He had five straight games with the sack, plus in Super Bowl fifty when the lights were brightest, three sacks, a forced fumble, and an interception as a defensive end. I mean, now he's going to be the starter this year. I absolutely love his upside. Yep, they did bring back Charles Johnson, I believe, and uh, but they they did lose uh, Jared Allen, so he's certainly going to have a, more of an opportunity there, I I believe. Uh, like you said, he's blossoming into that, that starter role there, so that's that's huge, and, and they, they counted on him. Uh, enough to make you know to be to be there in key moments in the Super Bowl, so that sh- that should say a lot about uh, how this team feels about him and whatnot as well. So, uh, we we are in that three year mark with him as well. So he's look certainly looking to turn turn the corner there. But uh, yeah, it's very. You should be very excited. I'm sorry. Sorry if I sound befuddled because I think I was one of those guys that dropped him last year before he started to get really good. Uh, and I'll, I'll I'll get over it and maybe use more patience uh, in the future. But uh, you know, I drafted JJ Watt in the first round, so I waited on defensive end, and then I just I wanted some more out of the other guys. And that's just how it goes sometimes. Uh, yeah, I think I think he's ready. I think he's ready to do. To really, to really make a difference full circle uh, for this defense. And, you know, Denver didn't necessarily have the best offensive line last year. So, you know, he's another person that might get overdrafted just because of that Super Bowl thing. Uh, so, you know, if somebody's down on him as the year progresses, maybe – Maybe you, you 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 remember how he ended last year, so maybe you could take advantage of that. But I think he is certainly ready to be a to be a player for this team. Uh, what about Shaq Thompson? Uh, I think he he's another guy that maybe played a, did a little bit more than people expected from him last year. They thought there was certainly going to be some kind of a transition period out of him. But what what do you think about Shaq Thompson moving forward, Nick? What, is he ready to step up and have a bigger role for this defense? I don't know. I, I would say probably a similar uh, role to what he had last year for the foreseeable future anyway. I mean, yes, he is a starting outside linebacker, but when the team goes to nickel formation, which in today's game is almost a new standard package, 
uh, one of the linebackers has to sit. And it's definitely not going to be Luke Keekley. And even though Thomas Davis will be 33 years old, he's still coming off an all-pro season. So, you know, I would worry about Shaq Thompson's snap count being uh, limited a little bit. Uh, and I also worry that he's going to be a better football player than an IDP player, uh, mostly because his biggest strength is pass coverage, shutting down tight ends and running backs. And if his assignment is locked down, then he's not going to see a whole lot of passes coming his way, and that will limit his tackle opportunities, just like uh, your shutdown corners uh, aren't the best IDP guys. So I do worry a little bit about Shaq Thompson's value. And that's maybe a, that's a guy uh, where we see some values on guys like Ely and Funches going up. If if his value is going to be down, maybe this is a this is a player that you can uh you can jump on and uh because like like Nick said Thomas Davis is is 33 years old there can't be a whole lot left in in the tank there for him so you know I I think his contract might actually be up after this season too I, don't call me on that so uh Thompson is certainly a player to uh to consider um 50 tackles last year though you know in somewhat of a reduced role only only uh, ten starts, so certainly a, a guy that uh, was able to uh, to make to make some things happen there, and a couple passes defense. So you you like to see that the fact that he can do that, you know that might open him up for some uh, for some for some decent sporadic games too with uh, with him doing some pass coverage stuff there. He might be able to do some stuff, you know, maybe cause some of those big turnovers. So maybe he's a he's a nice bye week filler. But uh, you know, Thomas Davis broke his arm too so maybe maybe that's not going to be fully recovered or maybe that's going to be a hindrance for him moving forward so I'm not saying it is but uh, it's certainly something to keep in mind and certainly a reason to keep Shaq Thompson on your roster if you have the space and don't uh, don't let anybody buy low on him and, unless you're the one trying to buy low uh, sorry sorry to confuse myself there but uh, what do you think about biggest draft needs now we've talked about four really really young players with this team young players that I think they this they Carolina, you know, has very good cause to be excited about, Nick, but uh, they certainly still have some holes there, I think, especially at the back end of this defense. Yeah, you know, coming off a Super Bowl run, I think they pretty much have to just go best available player. Uh, like you mentioned, secondary, they would love to get the best available player from the secondary, possibly defensive line depth, offensive line depth, maybe even a receiver. And now I highly doubt he'll be there, but we've seen running backs slide before. If Ezekiel Elliott were to fall far enough for Carolina to feasibly trade up to get him, I mean, that would have to have Cam Newton dabbing for days, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a huge, a huge if there, but uh, that that would certainly uh, be beneficial. And you know why we're talking about it? You know, we they obviously need secondary help, but you know, Thompson was a guy, a guy that Shaq Thompson was a guy that a lot of people thought might transition to safety. Why don't they? Why don't they let him play strong safety in some of those deep passing packages? That might, uh, if you're, a, and I don't know him on a dynasty team. I'm just saying that might. Uh, that might be something something to try there because I think he certainly has the athleticism. Uh, I think the what, what the Super Bowl also taught us last year is that they probably need some offensive tackle help. Uh, um, get rid of uh, get rid of Mike Remmers, uh, who uh, you know, you know. Let's face it, that's that's all he's unfortunately all going to be remembered for is how he just got destroyed in the Super Bowl. But uh, and he's not a terrible talent, but he's probably shouldn't be a starter in the NFL so they need to they need to look at that I think most definitely uh in, in the draft and maybe 
maybe earlier than most, but I wouldn't be surprised. You know, it's going to hurt those Cameron artist paying owners, but I'm like Nick said, I wouldn't be surprised if they go running back at some point because, you know, Stewart and Tolbert are both, are both older guys. So maybe they look at some of the bigger, the bigger running backs, you know, I think where Ezekiel Elliott's almost certainly not going to be available at there or that, I think they would have to trade way up to get him. Derek Henry's a guy that certainly could be available for them at the end of the first round if they wanted to go that route. And that I think he would fit what they like to do as an offense very, very well. So it's certainly something to to keep in mind there. Um, they they have some great, you know, interior depth on the defensive line. Um, and so I think it's a situation they could avoid, but if they don't think Thompson can develop into that strong side linebacker to replace Davis eventually. Maybe maybe they'd look to make a splash at the linebacker too. This is this is one of those teams where you don't see a huge. I mean, you ha- they obviously have needs, but not huge gaping. So it's, it's always it'll be always interesting to see who they actually tab in the first round because I don't think anybody saw them taking taking uh, Shaq Thompson in the first round last year by any means. So especially since he's not wasn't a full time starter, you know. But uh, we'll see. Uh, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis here, Nick, before Dan joins us. Um, some in this division. What do you think about Austin Safarian Jenkins, pick 1.04, and pick 1.05 for Greg Olson and Kevin White? Um, you know, I understand uh, wanting to get a more proven tight end in Greg Olson than Austin Safarian Jenkins. A lot, a lot of upside there with ASJ, but he hasn't really proven it yet. Um, as far as full season goes. But I, I still think that's a little bit too much to, to give up with the draft picks for uh, for Greg Olson, even though you're getting Kevin White in return, who was a top four pick in pretty much every dynasty draft last year. That's still just a tiny bit too much for me to give up. I would have wanted like maybe a third-round pick also along with Olson and White. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a hard call. I mean, I, I think it's maybe a little more fair than – than you think because I you know we don't year three is going to be huge even though we haven't seen ASJ stay healthy year three is going to be huge for him in terms of how his future is going to project I believe Um, but um, I I think it's I think it's fairly decent you know Kevin White you're getting hopefully you know the rookie product that we saw out of him he's, he's going to get a shot and after you know those you're getting two top five picks and and ASJ, I don't, I, I don't hate it, especially because we don't know what White is, and uh, Olsen is certainly up there in age. Um, ben Roethlisberger, Devontae Freeman. Hey, this was your trade, Nick, wasn't it? Ben Roethlisberger, Devontae, Devontae Freeman, pick 5.0 run for Aaron Rodgers, Jeremy Hill, and pick 7.09. Uh, yes, this was my trade, and uh, here's my angle. I was the side that gave up Roethlisberger and Devontae Freeman and picked up Aaron Rodgers and Jeremy Hill. Uh, my thinking was this team is definitely not going to contend in the next two years. It wouldn't surprise me if after two years Ben Roethlisberger uh, retired, <laughs> to be honest with you. He's a lot of hits taken on that body. So I didn't mind uh, downgrading at running back from Freeman to Hill uh, for the chance to upgrade a quarterback, not only in talent level, but also in age, uh, as Rodgers is two years younger than Roethlisberger. So that was my angle in the trade. What did you think of it? Yeah, I think it, where it is a little bit of a, a downgrade, you're getting a huge upgrade at quarterback. You're, you know, top top three player probably at quarterback. 
and going to be that case for the next five years. Rodgers has certainly been a lot healthier than Big Ben has throughout his career. Um, and, you know, Jeremy Hill, where he's had his issues fumbling, one thing that you can say about him is through the first couple of years, he has stayed healthy. And I'm not trying to curse the guy, um, but for a guy that runs the way he does, you know, that power, that power eye back or that power tailback, whatever you want to call him, that's pretty 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 good for that where he has I don't think he's missed a game the first couple of years. And he runs he runs hard, he runs dirty and he and he dances well too. So I mean his body is uh, his body's been through a lot the first couple of years and the fact that he hasn't missed a beat is is huge. And you know, Freeman where he had, you know, like what, an eight game stretch where he was just fantasy platinum last year. He didn't necessarily end the year that way, and he's got a young running back behind him. You know, Atlanta's going to do what they need to do to win. They're not going to just feature feature Freeman because they have nothing better to do. So um, let's come back to this. But we have Mr. Uh, Burgundy on the line, so let's patch him through. Dan, are you there? Hey, gentlemen. How's it going? Good. It is great to hear your voice. Thanks for filling in today. We appreciate you. Yeah, anytime. Okay. Well, we asked uh, we asked a well a knowledgeable person to come on today, says as we have a great dynasty dilemma for you, um, as we want to talk. Um, Calvin Benjamin, that's who Dan is going to be defending, versus Brandon Cooks, who Nick is going to be defending, versus uh, Mike Evans. So I guess Dan is the guest, so we'll let, we'll let you go first there, Mr. Burgundy. It's probably good I go first. In my defense, in my defense, I'm covering for a, a Carolina Homer who picked Kelvin Benjamin. I just wanna, I wanna just put that out here. I mean, oh, I, I like to, I like to. Carolina guy. Oh yeah, I mean, diehard. This guy, I mean, Alan, one of the co-owners. A DFW, he actually writes for the Charlotte Observer in their fantasy section. He's a published, you know, periodical writer out there, a major newspaper in Charlotte, North Carolina. It's a, he's as diehard a Carolina fan as you can possibly imagine. So I am definitely not going to do <laughs> Benjamin justice in this uh, debate. I'm going to do my best because I can make an argument for anybody. But um, uh, I don't want it to necessarily represent my true <laughs> feeling of these three players. Um, you know, there's a lot of question marks with Calvin Benjamin. Um, you know, even coming into the league, work ethic was an issue. Development was an issue. Just what kind of receiver do we have here? And he came out of the gates and put up an amazing rookie season. That whole rookie class did. And, you know, year one, it was really about targets for Kelvin Benjamin and lack of options for Cam Newton. Um, you know, he had drop issues, which were prevalent in college as well. Uh, you can call them concentration lapses or hammer hands or whatever you want to call it. But either way, he struggled with, you know, some drops. Um, what you can't teach with these guys is, size and Kelvin Benjamin is big even for tight ends almost you know I mean the guy is a monster uh, with with athletic skills that you know are envied on every level in any sport 
Um, he's going to have an advantage over a guy like Brandon Cooks all day long. Uh, not over, you know, not over Mike Evans. They're one and the same athletically, size-wise. But over Brandon Cooks, especially from a scoring red zone standpoint, we all get that. Um, there's also an advantage in this offense in the sense that it's way more of a chuck-it-up kind of offense. Cam Newton is not afraid to let it fly. Um, Winston kind of loosened up a little bit at the end. Uh, Drew Brees is far more precision-based passing. Um, but uh, it's going to play to Kelvin's strength, which is I'm bigger, stronger, I can go get it, you can't. And Cam's going to be able to put it where, you know, where the other defenders can't. So the issue then is what happens now coming off an injury? How is his recovery? These are X factors that we just simply don't know. Um, if he struggled with work ethic in college, is he completely dedicated to the recovery process and getting back onto the field? I mean, we can read reports all day long. We just simply don't know. Um, did he put on weight? Has he slowed down? He's already not a super fast, lightning quick 40 guy, you know. He's plenty fast, but, you know, what what exactly happened during the course of this recovery period? Getting a call beep in from my chiropractor. Um, <laughs> so, you know, Calvin, the upside is, is they have more options now. Carolina's, you know, Carolina's offense is more diverse. Greg Olson had a monster year last year. He's going to continue to pull – uh, coverage away from Cam. Uh, they had a late emergence by Devin Funchess. Um, you know, certainly Ted, Ted Ginn was running wild the last few weeks, and no one could cover that guy. Uh, and, you know, they are always going to have a, a threatening running game as long as Cam's back there. So as far as Kelvin Benjamin goes, by the end of the year, you saw the guy in nothing but double coverage. The defensive game plan was to take that guy away. And even with that said, he could go double, you know, he could go two, three touchdowns in a game. A lot of times he wasn't putting up yardage. He was getting double-digit touch, you know, targets with only three, four receptions, low yardage. But a lot of those were, a lot of those were red zone targets. So his upside is enormous should he be able to get into some single coverage situations. And uh, Carolina's offense isn't looking like it's going to be slowing down anytime soon. Um, he, ultimately, would I put him over Mike Evans if it was just me? No, I wouldn't. Mike Evans would be my guy in this argument. Um, but since I'm representing Allen, like, there's no question in my mind Kelvin Benjamin would kick both these guys' asses all day long up and down the field and has the most electric quarterback in the game and is easily the best player in this argument. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and like I said, I didn't. Uh, I just figured Allen would. I didn't give Allen the choice. Maybe I should have made Allen go against him, but I didn't give Allen the choice. I just gave him kill him. Oh, you didn't. Uh, I just figured he. Yeah. Cho- I figured he chose it. When I saw it, I was like, "Oh, no wonder Allen's got him." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the the votes the votes are certainly coming in towards the the yeah, Mike Evans side, but this is this is a good dilemma, and uh, I think maybe just because all these receivers are in the in the in that same division, but to, and they're all from the same draft class, so it's it's, it's a well, d- dilemma that we could probably have every year, and it's the second time we've actually done these three players. 
Well, and what I like about all of them is there's, you know, even Greg Olson is probably, you know, even surpassed, you know, Vincent Jackson as the most, you know, threatening second option in all of these scenarios. So they really are in offenses. All three of them are in offenses where they are truly the number one standout offensive option in that passing attack, which also makes it kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and no love for Willie Sneed, really? Um, but anyway, we'll yeah. get, I'll get there. I got it. He's all right. He's a cell. Uh, I had uh, Mike Evans in this division, um, or in this dilemma, excuse me. Uh, Evans is a big, accurate route runner. How good is Evans? Well, I've said it before, and and I've said it many times before, actually, but I think it seems appropriate, considering now that Johnny Manziel is is more concerned about partying with Justin Bieber than staying in game shape, Evans basically got Manziel drafted in the first round. I mean, he's the reason Manziel got drafted. In the first round. Without Evans, Manziel is Trevon Boykin or Keaton, the Chucky Keaton. Who exactly am I talking about? Basically, he's Tim Tebow with a slingshot without Mike Evans. Um, Sammy Watkins and the rest of this 2014 class, with Sammy Watkins and the rest of this 2014 class, it's easy for Evans to kind of get lost in the shelf. Benjamin and Cooks were also part of that fab class. I know one person in the DFW community that owns Benjamin in over a dozen leagues. And I, but I also know several fantasy experts that absolutely love Brandon Cooks. So they both have a very wide fan base. Yet Evans has has this constant value that is just unparalleled by anybody else in the 2014 class. Even more so, Evans is a true number one wide receiver, while Cooks and Benjamin are basically number one wide receivers by default. Okay, so I know Carolina just went to the Super Bowl. And all, but if I could choose between Drew Brees, Cam Newton, and Jameis Winston to be my dynasty wide receivers quarterback, I think I would choose Winston. Why? Longevity, younger peer passer. He also doesn't run nearly as much as Newton, and he doesn't feel the need to throw to eight or nine wide receivers per game like Drew Brees. Winston knows what he has in Evans, and he knows that Evans is this progressive pillar that you can just feed targets. Evans saw 148 targets last year. The next closest buck was Charles Sims with 70. The next closest wide receiver was VJax with 62. Cooks saw 129 targets. Meanwhile, Ben Watson saw 110 targets. Willie Sneed saw 101 in 2015. Calvin Benjamin actually saw zero targets last year. Ouch. But anyway, in 2014, Benjamin saw 22 more targets than Greg Olson. Uh, yet Olsen had 11 more catches. So ben- Benjamin also had twice as many targets as Jericho Cotri and Ted Ginn. Um, Ted Ginn, excuse me, twice as many targets as Jericho Cotri. But now with Ted Ginn, 95 targets, and Devin Funches, 63 targets in the fold, Corey Fitley Brown also had 54 targets. So there's, like Dan said, there's a lot of options, but I think that's more of a hindrance than it's going to help Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin, and I guess we could debate that too, but Benjamin, has, I think he's going to have a slightly le- reduced role when he comes back to Carolina. I think they might actually draft him the past catcher or two in the next couple of years. So Benjamin might score more touchdowns than Evans this season, and Cooks might have more receptions, but I think ultimately Evans will outscore both of them on a yearly basis 
and that's going to be thanks to uh, thanks to his younger quarterback as well. Uh, disclaimer: I did defend Evans in the same dilemma prior, the same dilemma that we did prior to the Benjamin knee injury last year. Uh, Nick defended Benjamin. Our buddy Ron McLeese defended Brandon Cooks. Uh, at that time, I still wasn't convinced that Evans was an elite caliber top 10 wide receiver or the best person in this poll, uh, but now I am. I think I've now seen the light that Mike Evans is the best of these three. Nick, what do you got for us on Brandon Cooks? Well, I'll start off with Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, yes, he had a great rookie season, but he's also in a very different situation now. Uh, not only is he recovering from an injury that cost him to miss all of 2015, but Cam Newton and the Panthers found out they had more success when not simply force-feeding one receiver. Plus, as young wide receivers like Devin Funches and Corey Brown develop, Benjamin could probably lose targets. Plus, his quarterback doesn't mind running if, he, if uh, the receivers are covered. Uh, now, Mike Evans, another big wide receiver, dropped 15 passes in 2015. That was second most in the NFL. Now, if you're catching 110 balls, then fine, drop 15 passes. But only 74 catches to 15 drops, yikes, that scares me a lot. Uh, he also had six games under 15, uh, under 50 yards, including week one when he didn't play. Uh, he only had five touchdowns last year. You'd like to see more red zone work from a guy that's 6'5", 231 pounds. Now, Brandon Cooks is a guy who I've liked since his Oregon State days, and I'm a Ducks fan. Uh, he's only five foot ten, but he's super tough and plays a lot bigger, even though he's also really fast. 84 catches, 1,100 yards, and nine touchdowns last year. That was over double his rookie totals. Now, a lot of fantasy football owners and NFL GMs, for that matter, can overemphasize size over talent. That's why Antonio Brown, the best receiver in the NFL, was not a first-round pick. That's why, once upon a time, Rod Gardner was drafted over Santana Moss. Uh, now, I don't think uh, I, I don't think Cooks will be Antonio Brown good. But just because you're not the best in the league or even top three doesn't mean you're not good. Uh, Cooks, due to his size, has maybe a lower ceiling than the other two guys. But if you need a dependable receiver for the next five to eight years, I really think that Brandon Cooks is the safest option of the other three. Wow. So I worked in Justin Beaver and Tim Tebow into this, and you somehow pulled out Rod Gardner. That was pretty awesome. Um, <laughs> Burgundy, any, any any rebuttal there? You know, I'll probably – I'm going to end up doing your job, uh, Josh, with Evans, is, you know, drops can be so misleading, especially when you don't have any other weapons on offense, when you're – up-and-coming tight end is out for the majority of the year and your, you know, your dependable veteran wide receiver is out for most of the year and you have, you know, quadruple coverage slanted to you every single game, it's easy to drop 15 balls and it's easy to knock that when you have a rookie quarterback that's thrown for 150 to 200 yards a game and learning how to develop and survive in the NFL. Um, so there's a lot of upside on Evan's side of this thing that we just simply have already seen with Cooks, in my opinion. Um, you know, if I'm being flat honest, I mean, I don't mean to ruin this dynasty dilemma, but I do think this is kind of between Cooks and Evans. Um, and I agree with you 100%, Nick. You know, his size is incredibly overrated in the NFL. In fact, if you look, I think two years ago for sure, and it'd be fun to look back at this year as well, at least half of the top 11 or 12 scoring wide receivers were under six feet tall in 2014. 
um, at least in PPR leagues, which is always the default league that I refer to. Um, and I think that's why PPR leagues are so great is because it gives that 100 reception guy a little a little advantage there. But um, Evans, in my opinion, has way more upside at this point, um, a lot more unknown. He's got the capability of being the number one overall wide receiver in the entire league with the development of Jameis Winston, whereas where Breeze is right now in New Orleans offense and the way it functions, I think Cooks can go for 1,108 or 9 all year long, all, all, all career long, as long as Breeze is his quarterback. Um, you know, a few games here or there, I could see that getting up into 13, 14, you know, 100 range. I just think ultimately the upside, he'll have to turn into just an absolute route running specialist like Antonio Brown, where he is just simply uncoverable. And Drew Brees has no other option but to go to him time and time and time again. And we just don't see that very much with Drew Brees. So that's my only rebuttal. I wish I had something on Kelvin, but. <laughs> no, it's okay. And I, I, don't, I don't know if Nick pointed it out, but, you know, Mike Evans had a nine-touchdown nine decline going into year two. But like, like, I, like you said, with that, with that rookie quarterback, I think they're just going to develop into – to, to quite the uh, quite the tandem, I'm not saying they're Peyton Manning, Marvin Harrison quite yet, but I think they're gonna uh, maybe they're Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne. I mean, they're, I think that that's that's a pretty fair fair couple. Because I think I think a, Romo Des Bryant even is a good comparison. Yeah, yeah. You know, fifteen hundred yeah. and sixteen, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. so yeah, yeah, and and again, you'd probably be lucky to have. Any one of these, if you have more than one of them, you did a good you did a good job. So, <laughs> um, absolutely. Any uh, uh, okay, cool. Any other thoughts there uh, on the dilemma there, Burgundy? Before we let you go. No, no, I'm looking forward to our rookie show on 420. Our rookie running back. Yes, yes. Well, exp- I haven't ex- fully explained how that's going to go yet to Nick. So, uh, I'll explain it I'm later. Anyway, I'm just dropping for, uh, the teaser. Yes, yes. Oh, you know what? You know what I was going to do. All right. Yeah, more more rookie shows planned for you. That should be a good time. But anyway, thank you, Burgundy, for joining us. Have a good one, bud. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. Any more thoughts there, Nick, on this dilemma before we shut the door? Um, just that I completely agree the upside lies with Mike Evans. You know, like Burgundy said, he could develop, and I think it was Burgundy said uh, that he could develop into the number one receiver in the league. That's probably not going to happen with Brandon Cooks. But Brandon Cooks, to me, is just feels like the favorite of the three. Yeah, and I think, you know, my point is the fact that even when Evans was a rookie and going into to last year, he was the end of the first round pick. Neither one of these other two guys have ever even been really in that consideration. You know, you take Brandon Cooks in the second round now, people would be like, oh, "You could have waited." You know, and, and same thing with I think same thing with Benjamin uh, in the starter. So I just think the the dynasty community is certainly willing to to stick, and maybe maybe that is the size issue uh, with Evans versus Cooks, but they're definitely willing to stick their hat on on Evans as opposed to Cooks in the in the first round or early in early in drafts we'll say and I think Evans is just gonna have that first round even if it's end of first round. If he's consistently end of first round guy the next three to five years, I think that's why he's just that's it's, that's just a reflection on the way that everybody feels about him because that's just you see that consistent ADP out of him. Um 
moving forward, yeah, uh, well, and as Burgundy teased, too, I can tease it, too, here. Um, so next week, like I said, Luis Torado Jr. is going to be joining us as we end our division-by-division division thing with uh, the AFC East. We'll talk Jets with Luis. Um, the following week, we're going to have two more podcasts. We're going to do a What Mean Bill Servier. We're going to do a wide receiver show on April 19th, Tuesday, April 19th. And on April 20th, we're going to talk running backs. And that's going to start with me in Burgundy. And then we're going to have our regular podcast after that. So it's going to be – I'm going to be on the radio for the full three-hour slate that I think Blog Talk allows you to be on. So looking forward to that, and hopefully I can keep Burgundy contained to the hour mark. Maybe I shouldn't be so optimistic, but I'll try. So we'll start with our running back pro- – uh, running back prospect show and that's going to change into our regular scheduled podcast so nick you'll still be joining me on 420 at the normal time i'm not going to make you get up at 6 a.m still be joining me at the normal time and that later on in that that rookie uh, rb show a regular podcast since we're done with our divisions we're going to be talking just uh um how what how did, we're going to be talking orphaned teams basically and how to how do you take take over an orphan team, how do you build it, what do you do, steps like that, and we're going to have uh, Bill Latin and Mike Kraftick joining us for that. So we have a, that's going to be a huge, a huge podcast. I, I doubt we'll, I'm sure Blog Talk will cut up, cut us off at some point in time on that, but should be a fun, fun podcast and a lot of, a lot of information packed into a, packed into three hours. So you know now, and I know your boss will look weird if he has to take a long lunch on 420, but <laughs> you uh, you have three hours of radio that you can listen to live that day. So make sure you check that out. That's going to be that's going to be a lot of fun. And of course, don't want to sell the wide receiver show short either with me and Bill. That's that's good. Bill Bill knows his stuff there, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, New Orleans Saints, Nick. What do you think? Should Drew Brees owners be gathering Garrett Grayson shares? Uh, absolutely, provided you don't have uh, other young, other younger options at quarterback. I mean, Luke McCown's still around. They did re-sign him, but Grayson, the third-round pick last year, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up beating out McCown for the number two job, seeing, just seeing as how McCown is 34 years old, and uh, obviously Drew Brees, the starter there, is 37. Uh, I think as long as Sean Payton is in New Orleans, the quarterback there is going to have value no matter who it is. So, yeah, I would definitely be trying to uh, grab some Grayson shares if I were uh, Drew Brees on. And one thing to keep in mind is Grayson – and I should really look at the uh, the target share there with uh, with Grayson. But his last year in college, like like I mentioned before, when we talked, Rashard Higgins was his number one wide receiver, and Grayson was always looking at him, always throwing to him. Um, but what happened last year is they had an awful quarterback in there at Colorado State, and Higgins still put up pretty damn good numbers. So maybe maybe what we saw out of Grayson was a little bit of an, an aberration, but uh, um, I just wanted to just wanted to throw that out there. I, I, we don't know what he's going to do in the NFL level, and I do I do have worries about his frame, but uh, that's certainly something to uh, something to keep in mind there. Um, what about Mark Ingram, Nick? Have have we seen the best of Mark Ingram? 
Well, last year his rushing yards dropped from 964 to 769, but his receiving yards shot up about 250, up to a career-high 405 uh, receiving yards. You know, has he peaked? I'd say no, but I would say he is peaking. I would expect, you know, 11 to 1,200 yards and high single-digit touchdowns for another year or two. So I would say he is in the peak but hasn't officially peaked yet. Yeah, and he missed some time last year too, so that kept his – kept his stats down a little bit there too. So, um, you know, this, what concerns me is something that I'm sure it concerns all fantasy owners. And we talk about it with new England all the time is they don't really seem to feature one, one particular player where, where yes, Ingram did have the majority of carries. They, you know, Mr. Hightower came through after, uh, after he got hurt and, and did the same type of thing. So I just, I just worry, you know, how the kind of short lease Sean, Sean Payton has with, with ineffectiveness or whatnot. And Ingram has been a very effective player. I think he played a lot better last year than I expected to. I think what we, I thought we saw a little bit of an aberration from him, but I think he played a lot better than I expected last year than he, than he did. Um, then he, then I thought he was going to do the year before. So, um, and just just so you're wondering, I was pulling up here while I was blabbing on. Uh, Rashard Higgins last year with Garrett Grayson, 96 catches, 1,700 yards. Um, uh, so he had 96 of Garrett Grayson's 270 completions. So maybe maybe that should make you uh, consider not grabbing Garrett Grayson. But uh, I, I just think that's that's interesting when he. That, I mean, that's a, over a third of of his uh, receptions came from one player. Next closest guy was 35 receptions. So something, something to keep in mind there, I think, with uh, with uh, Grayson. Is, uh, but something that you should also be very excited about, Richard Higgins coming into the league because I think he's got some got some good skills. And, hey, maybe, you know, I'm a little surprised that people have a first-round wide receiver going to New Orleans because um, I think they certainly have weapons. But maybe maybe they wait. And take uh take this guy because they know Grayson would be certainly comfortable with him there. But uh, yeah, so back to Ingram, he you know played in just the yards went down, but the yards per carry went up slightly from four point three to four point six. So that's certainly something something to look at there. And uh, yeah, he certainly saw a big target increase as he got sixty targets in two thousand sixteen from up from thirty six in two thousand fourteen. So. He proved to to do everything you need to be a successful running back in that Sean Payton offense. So I, I like I like I like that a lot. But uh, he is going to be he'll he'll be 27 this year, 20 28 the following. So I I worry about him as that uh, bores on there with Mr. Uh, Mr. Mark Ingram. Um, what do you think, Willie Sneed versus Brandon Cooks? Who will be wide receiver two? Well, if you look at the numbers last year, Willie Sneed, 69 catches, 984 yards, and three scores. Uh, Brandon Coleman, only 30 catches, 454 yards, and two scores. Uh, Brandon Coleman had a lot of hype coming into last uh, last season, but with Colston still around, he just really didn't live up to it. So I'm going to lean towards Sneed simply because we've actually seen him produce, whereas with uh, the six foot six Brandon Coleman, it's still pretty much just all potential. Uh, I'm looking at Pro Football Reference right now, and for some reason they have 
on Willie Sneed's profile that he played. He was listed as a fullback and a wide receiver. Uh, that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, a rookie last year, I don't think anybody was talking about this guy. Undrafted rookie, as a matter of fact. Uh, just 5'11". So that's one thing that I keep coming back to with him versus Coleman is Coleman is 6'6", six, six, a legit 6'6". Six, six. That's not his, you know, that's not his college stats. That's what he what he is actually now. And you think the fact that what, what's Brandon Cooks, 5'10", five, 5'9", five, maybe. So it, it's weird to think that they could have two small receivers. You want you certainly want that that variety of body size. And, and maybe Coleman does a little bit more more slot, more off off the line tight end type of thing or move tight end. But uh, so I think there's certainly a role for both of these guys. Snead certainly impressed a lot better. I mean, Brandon Coleman. Was it was essentially his second year in the league, but he was basically on the practice squad for New Orleans his entire rookie season. So he didn't see he didn't see a, a lick of action there his rookie season. So you know that that certainly says something about the way his progression his career pro- has progressed and how maybe how they feel about him. But I think there is a role for both of these guys. I don't think either one of them are some players that you can start a consistent a consistent basis. Um, but like I said, with Colston gone, I would like to see. I like to believe that Coleman's going to get a little bit more, uh, more love in this offense. But uh, Snead is probably the better player just because he he proved it and didn't have to have that that redshirt rookie season like uh, like Coleman did. So certainly something to to keep in mind there. Um, what do you think? Does James what what does James Laronitis's presence? mean for Stephon Anthony in the short term here, Nick? What do you think? Well, of course, when you add a player like James Laurinaitis, a tackling machine who doesn't miss any time with injuries, uh, the current linebacker's value is going to take a hit. Uh, Laurinaitis has over 100 tackles in every season in the NFL. Now, I wouldn't panic as an Anthony owner. I think he does have long-term value, but a lot of sources say he's switching from inside to strong side linebacker, and Laurinaitis is going to start in the middle. So I think definitely if I were a contender this year, I would look for a replacement. Yeah, and the Saints have very quietly done a lot of things to this team via free agency. Laronitis, even though it's a big enough move for us to feature here on the podcast, I think it was still a little bit of an under-radar move. But when you look at Laronitis, I mean, the guy that year after year, 100 tackles, 120 tackles, just consistent production. And I don't think that's just a – I don't think they're – basically saying we don't want Stephon Anthony to play in the middle anymore. I just think they saw a chance to to upgrade their roster, and if they could push Anthony outside for a couple of years, maybe give him a little more uh, a little more action uh, that way. That's good, and and certainly having a guy like Larry Nias around to to help Anthony out is not not going to hurt. I think his value maybe does take a, a little bit of a hit for this year, and I would like to see him. You know, we, typically the strong side is the, guy, is the linebackers that uh, gather more sacks, and weak side guys like Levante David are kind of the more the guys that get a whole lot of love tackles. Obviously, with Laronitis in play, they're going to be some tackle competition. But uh, um, this this can also just be looked at as as a depth move, and maybe Laronitis and his heightened age is not a not a three down backer, and maybe. We'll see Anthony come in and play some uh, some third pa- third and long passing situations there too because I think he certainly has a little bit more under in his legs than 
Flairnitis does have at, at this stage in his career. But uh, an interesting thing to see how that plays out. And I, I own Anthony in one league, so I'm not necessarily thrilled about it. Uh, but uh, uh, Laronitis certainly be a nice add to that team if, if I can get him. So, and you know, it's you know, I think Laronitis could potentially be on on the waiver wire in some leagues, and that you can you can grab him. When I think with good faith and know that he'll he'll do some good things there for you at least this year. It could be just like a one year thing, uh, but uh, maybe just more of a, a depth move than anything. But well. That's certainly a situation to keep an eye on, especially if you own Anthony. Um, what about biggest draft? Well, uh, you look at the Saints. Cameron Jordan had 10 sacks. Nobody else on the team had over five. They only had 30 sacks as a team. Uh, the lack of pressure led to a lack of interceptions. Only nine interceptions for the team, and only one player, Delvin Bro, had more than one interception. So I would think it has to be a pass rusher or a secondary help, right? Yeah, I mean, I... I I think in every one of my mocks I have been doing either one of those things in the first round. Um, I you know it's amazing how a, a really good corner could make the rest of this defense better. And I think because they do have that nice pass rusher there in Jordan Cameron Jordan, not Jordan Cameron Cameron Jordan. Um, because they have that nice pass rusher there, maybe that's the way they lean. And I think. If they can get one of these, you know, these top five type of corners, and they with the twelfth overall pick, they should certainly be able to do that. If they can get a guy like that, and then get a pass rusher in the second, because this this league, excuse me, this draft is loaded with defensive line talent. I think if they got like a guy like Carl Nassib in in the second, where I mean, the guy is a six foot seven defensive end on the other side of Cameron Jordan. I said it right. Um, yeah. So, um, to show that that way I confuse myself. But, um, yeah, that would certainly help. I think, you know, interior, well, they've signed some free agents. I think they could use some help there in the interior defensive line. Um, this offensive line, I think, is actually pretty good. But, I, you know, everybody should, should draft an offensive lineman. Even if they need a, a, a guy that can move up and down the line or to help replace. Um, tight end is another position that I see a lot of people mocking to this guy, to these teams with, with – uh, you know, Colby Fleener now there. We'll see. We'll see how that uh, that plays out. I think Fleener could have a, be a decent option in this in this offense. But um, if they need a young guy behind there, because you know, you know, you want to talk about Brandon Coleman not living up to life. Josh Hill certainly didn't live up to anything last year there for this team. So certainly a lot to consider there on on New Orleans there because I think they've done they've done enough in free agency at this point to consider the fact that I think they could, you know, certainly give Carolina a, a decent shot. But if they can add, especially with that top 12 pick, if they could add a nice impact player there, they could be a, a, a team that's going to be fighting for this division. And this is certainly a division that we've seen a lot of change where Carolina has been kind of the class of the division the last couple of years. We've seen, we've known this division can slip very quickly because we've seen that over the, over the course of the last decade or so. Um, let's move on to the Atlanta Falcons. Um, is Tevin Coleman anything more? And I know you don't care anymore since you got rid of Freeman, but is Tevin Coleman anything more than a Devontae Freeman handcuff this season? 
Well, it seems that way, but remember, when Freeman was a rookie, he had less carries playing behind an ineffective Steven Jackson than Tevin Coleman had last year. Uh, maybe Atlanta just doesn't trust the rookie running backs, and I know it's a different coaching staff, of course. But, uh, you know, and remember, Coleman did average a half a yard more per carry than Devontae Freeman did last year. I worry a little bit that, that uh, this morphs into a Bengals-like running back situation with uh, Jeremy Hill and Giovanni Bernard. I mean, both these guys are talented. Uh, you know, it seems like Atlanta's going to want to get both these guys on the field at some point, don't you think? Oh, yeah, and if if, if not, if only just to keep them both healthy. I mean, that's – you're not going to – you know, when you have a a guy like Coleman backing up Freeman, and I'm certainly that, – that's that's the way it's going to start, you know, why why give Freeman, you know, you know, over 15 carries a game when you know you can get, you know, 10 out of Coleman. Why, why, you know, why would you, why would you push it unless he is just tearing, tearing up the grass? You know, why would you push it when you, ha- when you have a, a, an option, a healthy option behind him that's a, a healthy young option that can certainly uh, be effective, right? Yeah, I think this could run, this could morph into a very frustrating uh, running back by committee for fantasy owners here. But, uh, you know, I think people are still going to pin their hat on the, that run that Freeman had last year where he was, absolutely immortal um, for, for a span of weeks there. So they're, they're, that's where the value is still going to lie with Freeman. But uh, if you, it wouldn't be a bad idea if you own Freeman to maybe try to get Coleman on the cheap. Uh, I still believe in Coleman, so I'll, I'll, I'll pin my hat on that. But I, I, I don't, I'm not necessarily counting on much from him this year. And if it is a full 50-50 split, I'll uh, – I'll be happy and consider starting Coleman in a couple of weeks. Uh, Justin Hardy, Nick, what do you think? Will he be the wide receiver three in this team? He has to be, right? Well, yeah. I mean, as long as he can beat out Eric Weems and Nick Williams, then, yes, he will be the wide receiver three. Now, I'm not sure how much value Atlanta's wide receiver three is going to have. Uh, it seems like as long as Matt Ryan has been there, it's been mostly a two-wide receiver show. But also, I will say it's not inconceivable that Hardy could beat out free agent acquisition Mohamed Sanu for the wide receiver two role. I don't think he will. Um, you know, Josh, I know both of us have been higher on Sanu than most of the fantasy football community, but history has a lot of wide receiver threes that went to other teams to be the wide receiver two and struggled. So it's not completely out of the realm of possibility that Hardy ends up even higher than wide receiver three. And what what concerned me last year with Hardy is that'd be nothing, nothing for the first eight games. I mean, I, I think I remember tweeting out when he made his first catch for 14 yards or something like that. I mean, just nothing. It's not even a, a slim chance of getting on the field. Uh, I think Sanu is going to be a very interesting play this year, uh, like Nick said, but Hardy just caught everything that came his way at East Carolina and, there's there's room for him where, you know, Nicky is right. This is kind of a two wide receiver show, and they've had the they had the luxury, you know, when somebody was hurt, like Harry Douglas had a, had a great year for these teams, so they, they were able to step up there. So, you know, they're able to step up and feature those guys. I'm not saying Hardy could, you know, if somebody gets injured, if Hardy can come through and be a thousand yard receiver, I would absolutely love that. I think he, I think he needs deserves a chance at that, but. Uh, they, they they certainly have a way of, of doing that. And again they're they, you know, under a new coaching regime too, so that we'll see how that uh that factors in, you know. I don't know, Dan Quinn wasn't in charge of the uh, Seattle offense, so we don't know we don't know how they how they 
how that rotation worked necessarily there with, with Seth's offense. So, well, well, Nathan, whatever. It's not it was his responsibility, but uh, we'll see. Maybe look at the offensive coordinator who chased away Roddy White for some reason, the all-time, you know, one of the all-time Falcons and uh, Mr. Shanahan there. So we'll see. We'll see how he uses that third execute option. Sorry to babble on there. Vic Beasley, Nick. What is Vic Beasley's ceiling, and will, how soon will we see it? Well, you look at Vic Beasley, uh, only had four sacks last year, but he did also play through a shoulder injury, a torn labrum, and played in all 16 games. He was the eighth overall pick, so obviously he's very talented. Uh, there's, there is some talk of him playing more linebacker this year, uh, Bruce Irvin's position when Dan Quinn was Seattle's defense coordinator, and I think that would likely help his tackle numbers. He only had 26 tackles last year. But if he's listed at linebacker, I think his value drops big time, except in sack-heavy scoring leagues. Um, his ceiling, uh, I don't know, maybe 20 sacks. But I, I don't think we're going to see 20 sacks. That's just his, you know, hypothetical ceiling. Uh, you know, when will we see his ceiling? I don't know, probably year five, uh, 2019. That would be his possible contract year, so that would be a good year to have a career year, right? <sighs> I hadn't heard the middle linebacker talk. That's interesting. Where, you know, I think he's rangy enough for that. It's just not a not a position. Not, not, I don't not know middle, not middle linebacker, just linebacker like Bruce Irvin played in Seattle. Okay, okay. So kind of like the weak side guy. So that would certainly help his tackle numbers. But like Nick said, it's he's going to – if he gets that linebacker designation, it's going to – he's going to need to make a lot of tackles to, to uh, be uh, to be full IDP worthy there. So um, – and you know, remember we talked about that last year with Sean Kirby post draft, and why 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 was Vic Beasley given this this low forty four number? That didn't make any make any sense because you know he's he's a he's a defensive end. He's not a he's not a linebacker. But maybe they're maybe they're changing that. You know, he is only six two uh, two thirty five, and a lot of places have him still listed at linebacker. So um, we'll we'll see how that. Uh, that pans out there. And this is, you know, we'll see, I think uh, we'll talk about it here in a second with their draft needs, but I think that the, what's going to determine how they use Beasley is what they're able to get in the draft. Cause this, this is a team that needs another pass rusher. I mean, even if, if Vic is their strong side outside linebacker, they need somebody on the other side. They need some, some bodies on the interior to, uh, you know, continue. And I, we'll see what, uh, what, uh, Mr. Quinn can do here to build up his defense now with this, excuse me, uh, now with his second draft with this team. Um, but, uh, yeah, and only four sacks last year for Beasley, so not, not an overly impressive rookie season where I think he, he did excite some people there for a while. He kind of kind of trailed off there towards the end. Um, draft needs, Nick, what do you think for the Falcons? Draft well, I think there's a lot of directions they could go. Um, possibly defensive end if they are moving Beasley to linebacker. Uh, maybe a receiver, right side of the offensive line, a tight end upgrade over Jacob Tammy. Also, the team does not have a safety on the roster that was drafted before the fifth round, so that could possibly be a position they would uh, look to infuse with some talent. Um, yeah, they're not going to take Ezekiel Elliott, that's for sure. Um, uh, <laughs> um but yeah, they they need a pass rusher of some sort, whether it's a defensive end or, or an edge guy. Um, certainly, plenty of safeties out there. I know uh, Darren Lee has been a guy that's linked to them in drafts too, and I think 
somebody on their roster, somebody on their defensive coaching staff, excuse me, um, is from UCLA as of the last couple of years. There was a lot of rumors about Eric Kendricks possibly going there in the draft last year. So, you know, maybe they're not on the Miles Jack train, but maybe they're uh, maybe they can't afford that or can't get up to that. But maybe they're on the the Kenny Clark train, the defensive tackle out of uh, out of UCLA this year. Maybe they maybe they give him a look. Uh, certainly a, a very destructive player, a player that has required a lot of double teams at the college level, and a player that it could help. Now, anything you can do on the interior is going to certainly help a guy like Beasley on the outside there. So, ooh, prospect profile time. I wanted to talk about Sean Davis. I talked a little bit about him last week on our IDP prospect show, if you missed that, me and uh, Bill Latin. That was good fun, uh, certainly certainly worthy of a listen for you to go back there and listen. But uh, I, I studied up some more on some Sean Davis. Just I kind of continued to look at him, so I hoping I could talk myself down a little bit on him. And I maybe did just a little bit, but uh, – uh, I think I think he's a, certainly a quality player, and I'm and I'm just going to list him as DB right now. Could be a corner, could be a safety. You know, if he is given that cornerback designation, that might be what he does for the first year. But he could morph into a safety somewhere throughout the year, and that could certainly help his value depending on how much PT he gets. Obviously, but uh, played extraordinary free safety early on in college. Uh, displays insane closing speed while in pursuit of the ball carrier. Um, Dropped a lot of jaws at the combine with a six six four three cone time. Um, although he ha- he has been known to over pursue, especially as a punt gunner. That's kind of what happens with some of these guys that are are fast is they they tend to over pursue the play, and uh, that's but that's definitely a reason I think uh, he should be free safety as opposed to a corner because at least he's got that that little bit of a an edge of space to where he can make that up because like I said his his closing speed and pursuit while chasing the ball carry is pretty nice. Um, he definitely missed more tackles as a cornerback than at free safety. You, you watch film on him and you'll see him, you know, kind of narrowly miss a tackle and then for a second be disappointed. But then when you watch the play over again, you realize that he was playing cornerback on the opposite side of the field and he just narrowly missed the tackle. So now if he's back there playing free safety, he's making that play. So um, he talks, he tackles smart. I saw him sack Tosh Boyd a couple of years ago by put, putting the shoulder to the hip, uh, planting planting his hip, his hip. Excuse me. He planted his shoulder to Boyd's planting hip, which is the way to tackle a bigger player. I think if you, if you can take out one of their legs, especially at the high point like that, that was very impressive. I also saw him go shoulder to thigh on Andre Williams a couple of years ago. Just, I mean, literally take him down. And, you know, Andre Williams certainly hasn't developed into an NFL caliber running back, but he is a big, strong, low-to-the-ground runner. And Davis, who stands uh, 6'1", 220, was able to get get up in him and just take him down uh, by hitting him in the legs. Very, very much appreciated watching tackles like that out of this guy. Very calculated tackle or two. He know he hits big guys low, and then goes for the strip when he can't. He just he he just doesn't go for ball. He wraps up first, which is smart. And there's obviously a lot of uh, ball stripping talk there with Maryland because you watch film on this team. Every single defender is trying to strip the ball in every single play. Uh, but he he makes sure he makes the tackle first, and I truly appreciated that. Um, as a 
coverage guy, he's absolutely deadly with the ball in the air. Times his leaps and jabs at the balls with precision. Uh, moved to corner last year. Certainly showed a lot of safety genes when he did that. Was able, uh, and he never never took a playoff. Was able to unflinchingly unflinchingly support the run with a lot of gusto. You know, he beat back a little bit and kind of that uh, that off coverage. And once he saw it was a running play, he was getting at the ball carrier. And I, and I love that about a corner that can support the run like that. And maybe that's. You know, maybe that means he feels to play a corner in the Tampa two system. Maybe that's a, a, a calling card for him. But I certainly would love to see him play safety, obviously for IDP reasons only. But uh, I think he has the ability to make a lot of plays, uh, especially at free safety, uh, make tackles and uh, some, cause some turnovers there for a, a real NFL team once he gets the chance. Any questions there about Sean Davis, Nick, the Maryland defensive back? Well, you mentioned that when he was playing corner, he might have missed a couple tackles that you said he would have probably made if he had been lined up at free safety. Do you think that that, uh, safety is more of a natural uh, position for him, or do you think that was just more of an adjustment period? Yeah, you know, I think think the move to corner was probably just because they needed needed a body up there. And he's, like I said, being 6'1", 220-ish, he's a little bigger than a lot of corners in the college level, but that's certainly something that NFL teams are looking at those taller corners now. So, yeah, and I think the fact that he's actually coming from the, across the field to make make tackles tells me a lot about his character and the way he plays the game. So I don't think it was necessarily adjustment. I think he was just trying to make the play because nobody else was able to make it. So, I, like I said, you're, you're slightly disappointed right away, but then you watch and see how far he comes to make that tackle. And I think that just says, like I said, a lot about the, him and the way he plays the game. And I think he was, you know, he's still set up to to play that free safety role and, and adjust in that role. So maybe there was a little bit of a an adjustment fault, but I think the fact that he's actually out there trying to make the tackle, using his speed to just narrowly miss the tackle when nobody else could, says a lot, says a lot about the way he plays the game and a reason that I want him on my IDT last year. So any other thoughts there? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay, so we have a couple more trades to get to with Dynasty Trade Analysis here. I need a drink of water, so we're going to play the music this time. It's time for Dynasty Trade Analysis. Of those guys out there like doing their actual radio shows five days a week, they really got a good dick. I mean, 15 minute segments, they're on the air 37 out of 60 minutes. I get all these commercials. I'm sitting here blabbing for two hours. I just need to take a drink every now and then. What's wrong with a little 30 second music clip, right? You know what I'm saying? Um, um, but if you want to give me a radio job, I'm listening to people. Uh, Adrian Peterson. Justin Hunter, well, I'll throw his name out of there. Adrian Peterson, Justin Hunter, Julio Jones, Clive Walford, 2017 first for Todd Gurley, A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, and pick 4.08. Uh, 
Did you catch all that, Nick? Uh, did I catch all that? Yes. Can I pick a winner in that? I, I don't think so. I think this is about as even as I could get. I, you know, at first I was like, well, the the 2017 first round pick that kind of leads us towards that side but the other side's picking up Todd Gurley for Adrian Peterson getting way younger at running back maybe the probably the number one dynasty running back acquired in there so this, this trade is about as easy, even as it gets for me yeah I mean giving up Julio and getting Todd Gurley and AJ Green in return that's that's pretty good um, he's also given up a first to get him, but um, and you know Marvin Jones is a little bit of wild card in this um, this scenario, and Justin Hunter isn't anything in this scenario. But you know, Marvin Jones, Clive Walford, guys that could certainly uh, certainly uh, do some good good things this year and grow as players. Um, yeah, it, it's even, but it's still. I mean. I guess it makes sense to get rid of Adrian Peterson and get a young running back. I, I just don't know why. I'm not exactly sure why you would trade Todd Gurley, basically. I know you're getting Julio Jones back but uh, and a first, but uh, that's – I don't know. You, and, so, and some other pieces, too, that can help you this year, but I'm just not sure. I like Clive Walford, and a lot of people are excited about him. I don't know if I've seen enough to, to, consider, to consider him, you know, as a guy that can step into that, that – Top ten tight end range, certainly not to, not right away. So um, next trade, but let's listen to this. Right I mean, Justin Hunter, really try catching thirty passes in a season before you start complaining about roster moving. <laughs> oh, Justin Hunter didn't like Marcus Mariota, but anyway, um, pick one point zero two, and pick two point zero two for Max Williams. Pick. 1.07, pick 1.08, and pick 3.09. What do you think, Nick? Um, I think trading the second overall pick—that's just too much to trade for. For that, I would not have given up. I would not have given up a pick that high for Max Williams and those lower picks. So yeah, I mean, you're you're losing one. You're losing the second overall pick. So maybe you know, obviously, Elliott's going to be the first in a lot of drafts. And maybe you don't maybe you don't need a wide receiver that you're going to get two later picks. I, I don't necessarily just uh, disagree with it, but that's um, it's essentially two picks for one, and you're you're only trading down five five spots. But um, and if you if you're really confident in a couple players that at that point in time in the draft, okay. But uh, you know, and maybe you just don't want to make that decision between Treadwell, Coleman, and Doxon for the second overall pick, and that way you can get, uh, you know, Carew and uh, Kenneth Dixon or Sterling Shepard maybe late, late that lasts that long. I don't think they probably will. Maybe Tyler Boyd's still there. So I think I don't necessarily – I'm not as against it as you are, Nick, I, but I'm still just a little mm, – not 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 crazy about it, but it makes sense if you if you really believe in a couple of players at seven and eight that you can get, especially if it's like I said, if it's Kenneth Dixon and Tyler Boyd, I I think I would be okay with with doing that, especially since I'm not a huge Treadwell guy. Um, if I if I see the value there and be able to trade down like that, I think I would certainly do that. Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers last team here, Nick. 
Is Charles Sims the safest RB2 in the league? What do you think? Um, I, I think I would agree with that. Only three running backs on the roster right now, Doug Martin, Charles Sims, and Mike James. So, you know, he's definitely the number two running back. And, you know, had Martin not re-signed, I think they would have been okay with him starting. He had uh, 4.9 yards per carry on over 100 carries last year. He showed he can play when healthy, uh, over a, almost 1,100 yards rushing and receiving combined, but only four touchdowns, uh, all of those through the air last season. I think if he gets more red zone work, he could be even better in 2016 than he was last year. Yeah, and, you know, I just – the fact that he was able, like Nick said, to produce those numbers as the number two, uh, that, that's just astonishing to me. Uh, and he's he's certainly a number two that you can – he's officially an, an RB2 on this team, but he's certainly a number two that I think you can count on on a weekly basis because where he's not going to – you know, there's some weeks where you may consider sitting him, but, you know, as an as a owner of him in, in a, as many leagues as possible, a lot of them, um, you know, and trying to make that decision every week between him and like Gio Bernard, it was so hard because you know I feel like I with Sims I on this week that I I missed more than I that I that I hit on him because you know he's going to have some down weeks, but the weeks that he goes off and and has you know those eight catches, uh, that's when you want him in the league in your lineup. Obviously, hopefully he's scoring a touchdown in there too. So yeah, he's a player that they they know and where they have a new coaching staff, it's they just hired their offense coordinator as their head coach so i think all this all is safe there there with the uh with the dick cutter scheme or dirk cutter excuse me um geez that was a bad slip up what about kenny bell nick is kenny bell a legitimate threat to earn the wide receiver three role for this team hello nick are you there I think we lost Nick there for a second. Sorry about that. Uh, oh, Kenny Bell, uh, you look at his measurables, and he's six foot 197 pounds, 4.4240, but he missed all of 2015 with a hamstring injury. So, you know, we know he's physically talented, but we've yet to see him in an NFL game. Uh, his biggest competition uh, is last year's wide receiver three, Lewis Murphy, but Murphy's going to be 29 and is coming off an ACL tear in October. Uh, Adam Humphreys died Die Dante and uh, Evan Spencer are also in the mix, so I, th- I think Kenny Bell would be the favorite there. Yeah. How did how did Washington let Evan Spencer go, Nick? Um, but anyway, yeah, we haven't seen a lot, obviously, anything out of Kenny Bell, but uh, he, like Nick said, with that speed, just around the six foot mark, he's a, certainly a guy that I think could do some damage in that slot and. Because, you know, because he's not necessarily – because he's, you know, it's it's so funny how we talked about wide receivers. If a guy's, if a guy's 6'1", you're like, okay, and if he's 5'11", you're just like, oh, wait a minute, you know. Uh, but he's he's six foot, so there's not too much discussion there. But I think he's a guy that can morph into that wide receiver two role once Vijax finally gets off of this team. You know, that's coming here in the next year or so, I would believe, so. What do you think about the defensive side of the ball? Will Quan Alexander lose snaps to Daryl Smith? Maybe, you know, I don't think this is necessarily a Laronitis Anthony type of move, but it is interesting to see will, will they move Alexander outside? Is Smith there just to back up Alexander? What, what do you think, Nick? 
Well, Daryl Smith's 34, but he hasn't missed a game in the last three years, and he's got 10 seasons with 15 or more games. Uh, Quan Alexander, 93 tackles last year, but he really wasn't that great, and he may have to show improvement to keep his job. And, of course, he's already got the four-game suspension on his his resume also. Uh, Another thing to remember is that Alexander is a lot better against the pass than he is against the run, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if we saw Daryl Smith playing on first and second down, and then they bring in Quan Alexander on third down. So that would definitely impact his tackle yeah, and I'm just trying to think, are they going to, if they're going to do, I mean, what is the new defense? Are they doing the 3-4 in this scheme? I can't I can't exactly remember here. I should know that. As an IDP writer, I should know these things, but I, I'm slipping my mind. But, you know, if they move him, Alexander, to the outside, they got Levante David on one side, Alexander on the other, and Smith in the middle, where Smith is 34. Um, it's certainly a certainly worry, and he's been healthy. But you certainly have to worry worry about his stamina and and whatnot. As certainly as the season progresses, but uh, it'll be more of a. And with they have Danny Lenasana right now slated at their at their strong side backer, so it looks like they will stick stick with the uh, the four three as of as of right now. Uh, with Mike Smith there at the defensive coordinator helm. So um, we'll see. Uh, Quan was certainly a player where Nick said he certainly had his problems last year. He certainly had some absolutely huge games too, and I think a lot of IDP people people are very excited about him. But uh, that's uh, an interesting – interesting cog thrown into this uh, this defensive machine there for uh, for Tampa. We'll see how that works out. Daryl Smith is obviously, you know, maybe just a, a one-year player but uh, for this team. But um, if you can add depth, you can, like, and a veteran player like that, maybe, maybe again, it's like Laronitis to Anthony. Maybe he's there to just to help to help Alexander out and help him grow, maybe help him mature a little bit. Uh, we know he's had the issue there since he's already been suspended. So, uh, Biggest draft needs, Nick, what do you think? Well, I would say if you take a quarterback with the number one overall pick, James Winston, last year, uh, you got to uh, do something to help him out. Probably an offensive lineman uh, to protect him and open holes for Doug Martin and Charles Sims. Uh, maybe a wide receiver, as Vince Jackson is not getting any younger. Uh, I could also possibly see him going with the secondary. They did sign Brent Grimes, but I think they could still uh, stand to improve a little bit in the in the back back four there. Yeah, yeah, they could they could use some safety help there. Not a Chris Conte and Bradley McDougal are, are okay. Not a lot, not a lot to be excited about there, though. Um, whereas I think they didn't get, they I think they expected more out of some guys last year, especially out of Jonathan Banks. I know I did. He kind of he kind of let them down and fell into more of a a reserved role. Hence they brought in, they got you know they got Grimes and Werner right now on the roster, and that's a pretty good cornerback corner combination. They need some certainly some some help at safety though as well. Um, defensive end wouldn't be a be a or bad position either. Where they have they have Ayers and William Golston, I think they could certainly stand to get a little a little stronger there, and it's going to help those that linebacking core out there as well. Um, as far as wide receivers go to, uh, that's certainly something they. They should look at where we talked about Kenny Bell earlier. They, there's not a lot, lot after him and Mike Evans and Vince Jackson. Lewis Murphy is is the veteran, but he's you know he's nothing that you can get excited about. If they can 
if they can add like a true slot receiver, and uh, you know, it's obviously going to hurt Kenny Bell. People love Kenny Bell, by the way. I just don't, I don't get it. Dynasty league people absolutely love him, and he still has stuff onto the field. Maybe it's that uh, four forty time, but four four two forty time. But somebody dropped him in one of my leagues last year because they needed, I think, room on their IR. And I picked him up. I was like, oh, why not? You know, why not have another young wide receiver, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I ended up having to do the same thing because I needed I needed an IR spot, and I didn't want to drop Oa Digazua for some reason. So I dropped Kenny Bell, and, like, he was snatched up immediately. <laughs> I could not believe it, like, seconds later. So people people absolutely love this guy. Um, and if you maybe if you own him, you know maybe you can maybe you can turn that in, into a trade before they, this team drafts a wide receiver. So um, that could certainly be a bad a bad trump card there for uh, for Bell moving forward. Um, this week in mocks, I feel like I need one of my patented echoing intros for this segment that's been reoccurring now for a couple of weeks. But um how is your rookie mock draft going there, Nick? I'm pretty happy with it so far. I had the fifth pick in each round, uh so uh with the first in the first round I took Corey Coleman and second round Devontae Freeman, the running back. Uh and this is an IDP league also. So that's why the in the third round the top quarterback Carson Wentz was still available for me. I couldn't believe that. Uh had to had to jump on that with the fifth pick of the third round. And then in uh yeah. in the fourth round I took the wide receiver Jordan Payton. So that's that's where my uh my rookie mock draft stands right now. How's yours looking? I saw that. What do you know about Jordan Payton? <laughs> have it have you have you studied him at all or I I, I've studied him just a little. I haven't seen too much going on, though. Yeah, I haven't really studied a whole lot on him. I'm still kind of uh, still kind of getting some work done on the whole uh, rookie thing, but he was the best available on my board, so that's where I, that's the direction I went. All right. Okay. Um, well, I think we maybe went over this one. Yeah. We went over this one last week with the one that I have up here. Gosh, Coleman, Coleman with the fifth overall pick is pretty good value. Um, I think Sterling Shepard and Carew are going right thereafter. Dixon, Boyd and Dixon at nine there, like I talked about earlier. Um, but I wanted to touch maybe a little bit on the ID port, IDP portion of this draft and see where the first guy went. Miles Jack went the first pick of the second round. Joey Bosa went pick 2.03. And this is offensive defense combined. So Raglan, 2.09. Uh, DeForest Buckner, 2.12. Darren Lee, 3.05. Jalen Smith behind Darren Lee. That's crazy stupid. 3.06. Um, sorry, lost my Shaq Lawson, 4.03. Kentrell Brothers right before that at 3.1. Two, um, Noah Spence four point zero five. Not crazy about about Spence, but we'll see we'll see how that works out there for for him. Uh, Scooby Wright four point zero nine. Shalik Calhoun four point zero eight. Right before that, there. So just kind of want to get some people's ideas of where these where these IDP guys are going. Vonville four point one zero, and then I took Jalen Ramsey four point 
1-1. Right after that, the note, please become a safety, because that's, that's going to help him, him, him and you out, IDP-wise. Um, also wanted to touch in late, on uh, another full IDP dynasty, um, just to kind of let you people know about how what's, uh, what's shaken and the type of uh, IDP guys that you can get late. You know, I've been preaching, you know, take, take IDP guys late because they're always available. It's nice to have those top-end talents, but if you can get younger guys later that can develop into something, you certainly do that. So I just wanted to kind of talk. Let you know who's go, who's going where here with that. Uh, Carlos Dansby just joined a new team there in Cincinnati. Went with the second pick of the twentieth round. Right before that, Shaq Thompson. Shaq, excuse me, Shaq Thompson. Uh, David Harris twenty point zero nine. Uh, Barry Church twenty point one one. Now Barry Church is a guy that's up there in age, but he's a guy that you can roll out every single week and be very very comfortable with that. Um, I got Malik Jackson, sixth pick of the 22nd round. Uh, Sheldon Richardson went right after that. Uh, Jerry Hughes, Rodney McLeod, Mario Williams all went right before that. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul in the the 22nd round, just because obviously the injury, you know, he was a guy that was going way, you know, top five rounds last year. Uh, Eric Weddell, Weddell, excuse me, 23.02. Uh, Jaquirsky Tart, a couple picks right after that. Uh, Reggie Ragland, this is a again a dynasty IDP full IDP mock. Uh, I got Reggie Ragland, the seventh pick of the twenty third round. Um, turned around and picked up Kentrell Brothers right after that. Those you know after you know after Miles Jack or right between Miles Jack. Or, so these are the guys that you want with Ragland and Kentrell Brothers, the two the two middle linebackers. Those are the those are the class of this draft. After there, after that's a bunch of wild cards. Ooh, James Laronitis we talked about earlier, twenty four point zero nine. Um, Henry Anderson, twenty five point zero seven, guy we talked a little bit about last week. Uh, Miles Jack, twenty five point one zero. Vaughn Bell and Kelvin Pryor going right after that. So just I just kind of wanted to get people's uh, people's uh, you know idea of what's going on late in these in these full IDP uh startups. The the players that you can get IDP wise post round twenty are you still there, Josh? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still here. Can you not hear me? Hello? Hello? Okay. Well, I don't know what happened. I think we lost Nick for a second. Maybe he'll pop back on here. Um, but just, nope. Yeah, but like I said, I just wanted to let people know those full. Gosh, IDP if you're mock- still there, I'm not hearing you. Okay, well that's that's all we had. I'm, I'm not sure if you're hearing me, or Nick is Nick is not. But uh, that's all we had for you today. Uh, so get out of here. Uh, make sure you check it out next week as we talk AFC East, East with Luis Toronto Jr. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.